Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Jim Taddy here with Leafs Guy. This is episode 19. I want to thank our PA announcer, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Coming up in the broadcast today, we will have Bill Waters, former Leafs assistant general manager, as we go over the Leafs' not-too-great performances of late and possible trade options. And then Todd Crocker, voice of the Marlies, the Leafs' AHL affiliate, will be by discussing the depth on the farm team and how that could play into trades Moving forward, two lengthy conversations. And before we get started on our analysis, uh, let me tell you this. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who'll be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there'll be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win 256 bucks if they win. It's that simple. Turning $4 into 256 bucks is 64 to 1 odds. Every dollar you bet turns into $64. you got to like that math. So, again, pick the right underdog. The underdog wins. You have a $4 wager. You walk away with 256 There's no better way to put your college basketball to the test and put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. So don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into 256 bucks. There's that equation again, and it has to happen this way. You put the four on the right underdog, it wins, you walk away with 256 So use that code THPN to turn, here we go with the equation again, Four dollars into two hundred and fifty-six for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's the waiver: must be twenty-one years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call one eight hundred GAMBLER or in Indiana one eight hundred nine with it. All right, let's get into the story now. So. We're having a problem here understanding what happened with the three Leaf games in Edmonton where they were picture perfect, and then they go one and five in the six that follow, and the one was an overtime win where the star players for the Leafs had relentless pursuit, and it had to be a just a magnificent overtime goal to win. So how did we go from perfection to uh, abstract, I guess is the best way to describe it. Well... You could look at it this way. Let's first of all go back to game three of the Winnipeg series, and and this tells you quite a bit. The game on Saturday night, the Leafs were outworked by the Jets shift by shift. There's no question about that. The Jets came up with a playoff-style game. The Leafs did not. 
the Jets were able to wear the Leafs down. The Leafs had a 2-1 lead, and from that moment on, the Jets dug in. They stayed to their game plan. They were good positionally. They were creating turnovers. They were able to use their body to impose their will on the Leafs, and it wore the Leafs down. So if that was a playoff series, the one with the Jets, the Leafs would lose that 2-1. to one. The Jets would win that. Uh, so, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Everybody understands that. Uh, if you go back into the, the playoff series that we had, we talked about before, we talked about the the Edmonton games, and, and they won based on the win on Thursday night over the Jets in overtime, 4-3 on that playoff series. But now we can take it to eight games. Four and four would be the least record over the last eight games, and that includes the 3 nothing start. So you get that big start in Edmonton, and then you have a lot of um, problems since then. Why is that? I've gone over the game summaries, and I can tell you this. The memory of the Edmonton series is very strong. This was like watching a symphony play uh, just a, a classic piece, and it just all meshed together. And it meshed together not only on the ice as you watched it. I think of those Edmonton games, you didn't even notice the line change because the Leafs came at the Oilers in a wave. There was some pushback from Edmonton, but not on the scoreboard. That's the key thing. Not on the scoreboard. The Leafs were able to just drive that home and, and get through those three games and look very good. Now, the scoreboard changes in the Vancouver series. The Leafs never had the lead, or at least didn't get the first goal of the game. And then they come home to play Winnipeg, and it's the same thing. The Leafs have scored in the last six games one first goal of the game. They lost that game, oddly enough, and the game they won was their first comeback when trailing after two periods of play. So the scoreboard has something to do about it. You get that first goal, and you're able to, to stick to your system, and away you go. Uh, the other teams are scoring first, so what happens to the Leafs? They revert to that old style of let's get the easy goal. We're looking for that home run goal to tie the game, and then we'll be okay. Well, that's not how you played in Edmonton. How you played in Edmonton was you took care of business. You looked after the details, and the goals followed. You've reversed the, the, uh, the, the what am I looking for? You've reversed the formula now. Now you want to score, and then everything will be okay. No, no, that's not how it happens. Everything's okay, and then you score. So this is what the Leafs are dealing with. They're also dealing with fatigue. I mean, everybody in this division, everybody in the NHL has a downturn. This is where the Leafs are. So they have to battle their way back through this, and they will. And I'm confident that that will happen in the second half. they got four days off this week. They'll have four days off next week. It comes at a perfect time. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of results in the next two weeks, but I think they're going to come out of this, and probably there's a trade in the wind as well. So let's get further analysis now. Let's bring in Bill Waters, the former Leafs assistant general manager. So three perfect games in Edmonton and then one and five in the following six games. Hard to figure, isn't it? Yeah, you can spend a lot of time trying to convince yourself that the team that played in Edmonton is the same team that's just been one and five. And it is. And I think what happened was the teams that were coming up, a.k.a. Vancouver, watched Toronto play Edmonton and said, this is the way Toronto likes to play. We can't allow them to play that way. We have to have them play in some fashion that reflects a weakness because they were at the conclusion of the Edmonton series. I think it's fair to say Jim, that there was a very significant um, reconsideration of who were in the top teams in the NHL. At least for one of them. Yep. And so I think at the end of the day, uh, just play your game, force the Leafs to try and do some forechecking. And then they get into trouble with penalties and then power plays take over. And in the Vancouver series, I think it was fair 
the Leafs could have won, notwithstanding their power play. The power play wasn't that bad, but Vancouver's produced the significant goals. Now, since then, the Winnipeg series evenly matched, but the Leafs just weren't the same. And, and if you can tell me that Winnipeg is any weaker than Edmonton, then I'll tell you, you better have another look. So you should have played them the same way as you played Edmonton, and perhaps they did, but they didn't do it as well or they didn't do it on the surprise factor. Once you're aware of what they're trying to do, it's the other team's job to upset that. And I think Winnipeg did that well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happens. In a... the puck. They, yeah. they froze the defensive zone. So uh, that, and, and then the Ottawa game, while well, you, you know, you, you, you give away in the first minute, and then you have a face-off, and all your players disappear, and the zingle moves in, and he's all alone, the goalie scores. So it's 2 nothing. Uh, just mind not in the game, uh, and that's the coach's problem. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think in the Sunday game, they weren't ready for that game, and that is the coach's problem, isn't it? Yes, it is, and it was a, a particularly in light of they had five days off before they play another. Who's he trying to rest? Like for me, after the game Anderson played on Saturday, and he wasn't himself, I would have put him right back in. Why Why switch and make all the controversy of the poor, stiff uh, alternate goalies who pay the price for the incompetence of the team they're playing with? And he did that. And that disrupted the team. It was a disruption he didn't need. And I'm not a big advocate of his coaching, but I did admire the way he attacked Edmonton. That, that was a, a piece de resistance. He, he, he showed me a lot and how he did that, and I'd like him to show me a lot more. Well, I agree with you. If you go back to that Edmonton series, you can be misled. You know, I don't want to take anything away from that Leaf performance because it was picture perfect, but what did happen was everything they did worked, and so there was a constant build. I know there was some pushback from Edmonton, but it never happened on the scoreboard, and that's a big factor. So the Leafs were able to to impose their will on Edmonton three straight games. Uh, What happened after that was – they only had the first goal in one of the next six games, and it forced them to go back to their, we have to get a goal, as opposed to, let's look after this and the goals will come. That, that's a big difference, isn't it? It surely is, and, and it creates penalties. And it creates power play opportunities for the other guys. And the Leafs are a possession team. They don't like having the puck taken from them. And, and any team that a challenge is that is going to have some success. And in order to get the puck back, they got to take penalties. Well, against Edmonton, they were a possession team. They, they were a game team. They had control of that whole game and, and in each case. And uh, I, I just it, – it's difficult to point a finger, nor should you. They're still, you know, in good position to finish well. But you, you, most people are looking at this team as a playoff advancer and – uh, if they get by Winnipeg, I'll, I'll be surprised. Well, to that point, uh, if you go back to the Saturday game, I thought that was – I mean, that just told me who the Winnipeg Jets were because they played a much harder game than the Leafs did. Uh, they bodied the Leafs, and I don't mean driving the guy through the boards, but they had body position, and they were able to uh, create turnovers. And I just thought that even though the Leafs had a 2-1 lead at one point – the Winnipeg Jets dug in, and that's how you win a playoff series. I would be a little wary of, of facing Winnipeg and, and, uh, unless the Leafs are able to beef up somehow. 
Yeah, I, I, unless the Leafs are able to find some hearts. I mean, they, they don't want to play the game the way Winnipeg has. Winnipeg doesn't have to play. The coach makes them play. Paul Reese makes them play that way. He knows the third game in Toronto, the three-game series, is a turning point for both teams. And yeah. he made them play. He made them forecheck. He made them body to body. That doesn't happen in Toronto. If they can take a straight line that does not uh, include an opponent, they're not. They're, they're going to take it. They, they just are not the type of player that enjoys uh, physical confrontation. And the fact is obvious when you look at your best player, who is now a part of that army of physical concentration, which isn't much, but at least Matthews is a part of it. And the the guys that are below Matthews on the skill chart should have a look and say, hey, if he can do that, we should be able to. Because I, I still have some faith in the Leafs if they can combine a system of defensive hockey that will allow them to control the game to, to a point. I mean, they're not the Montreal Canadiens of their Halsican days, but they are a team that if they play their game, possession hockey, with just a little sprig of pepper, then they, they can do all right. And, and I, I, I don't worry about Freddie Anderson and the goalies. They are what they are. Uh, Anderson has played well for Toronto over the years, and I think he'll come back and play as well as he did in the other play. You can't let Freddie Anderson be your win-or-lose guy in the playoffs because maybe he's not that good. I, I, you, you just should play harder and play a different style that precludes uh, two open shots, one giveaway uh, in the first five minutes of what was just a game that they wanted to win so they could take five days off. They got the five days off, so to speak, but they couldn't win it. And that's that's pretty much sums up what the Leafs are all about. And, and they require a change in the next half season. And if it doesn't become apparent, then don't get your hopes up for anything other than a first-round loss. Well, uh, you know, the Winnipeg uh, three-game series was alarming to me uh, just because I expected more bounce back. And really, the Jets got out of town with five or six points. And the only point they gave up was the game where the Leafs' best players were relentless from start to finish. So that was the best the Leafs could do. Uh, the goaltending matchup might be a little concerning. Hellebuck and and, uh, and Freddie, and, and then when you get into Montreal, Price and Freddie. I mean, Freddie has to be the best guy, doesn't he? Yeah, he, I, I don't think you should start questioning. If he has a bad game, play him again. Yeah. Like the whole idea was Ottawa. Ottawa is Ottawa. Don't disrespect them, but you should be able to play them. And he changes the goalie. And as I said earlier in our session, that was a disruption for the whole team. Don't say how, I don't care how you say it. It was brought on by the coach, and he did nothing to resolve it. He didn't have his team ready to play. They didn't realize the magnitude of the, of the competition and what it meant to the Leafs. So they go out there uh, in a slipshod fashion, and that falls squarely on Keith's shoulders. And uh, the general manager should bring it to his attention. That shouldn't have happened. A, go with Freddie. If he lets a bad one in, yank him. But no, no. Keith's too cute for his own good. 
Well, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, he obviously realized his mistake because Hutch lasted six minutes and 13 seconds, so he knew that that's what had to happen. And I mean, they literally watched, everybody on the ice watched the second goal go in. That was really sad to see. Yeah. I'm trying to explain that one to the future. <laughs> I, don't I don't know that. I don't know that you can. <laughs> no, you can use that one uh, for, for a film session. Here's how you yeah. do not play hockey. Well, here's how you do not respond to a goal that was just scored on you. That's the, that's the other killer. That that's seven seconds after that you go down one nothing. That's hard to believe. Yeah. Oh no, crazy. That, that that sheds more evidence on the ill prepared team that came to play in Ottawa. Well, and some of it, you know, I don't want to be too harsh, you know, just because of the schedule. And everybody's had this dip. So this is the least battle with adversity. It's going to be interesting to see how they come out of this. Yes, well, you know, I used the least back end in Vancouver as fatigue. Well, you've made a good point, Jim. Fatigue is part of what they're doing this spring. This, this spring. They're 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 – Withstanding the fatigue of a rigorous schedule with very little rest, all 31 teams. So let's drop fatigue as a consideration. It's either ill prepared, don't want to win, don't care, or a lack of talent. The Leafs have a choice to make. They can take one of the top two. They cannot take the bottom. Talent is not their concern. It's a desire to win and finding a better way to defend against teams that have eliminated some of their freedoms. Because once that puck possession game is taken away from them, they, they start whacking and hacking and trying to get the puck back. That's not the way you do it. You get your feet moving and you pick up the pace. And they can do that. But some days they don't want to. More days than, well, six out of six days they didn't want to. Well, and I think what happens is, uh, and, and it also is triggered by not scoring first, they, they resort back to that cheat that uh, it's like, let's get the easy goal. Well, there is no easy goal. Nope. And and you know what? Matthews could only do it for so long. In that Edmonton series, uh, he wasn't playing even. Yeah. But before that, he was scoring the first goal almost every game. Yeah. It kind of felt. And so I, I – I just was so impressed with the way they played Edmonton and so summarily unimpressed with how they played Simpson. That's a juxtaposition that doesn't happen often in professional sports. You might have a game, but don't throw six at me. Yeah, well, that's true. And the one they won was in overtime, and they had to empty the tank to do it. Um, last week, we couldn't have you on because of technical difficulties, as we're both well aware. Uh, so you were talking about trades and, and I think most people understand that the lease would have to trade by the end of this month in order to fulfill all the quarantine uh, issues and, and get the player in and sooner is, is, is uh, better than later in the trade business for the Leafs. So let's revisit that uh, in terms of what they should be doing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I, I had uh, Nylander traded and I still do. Great time to trade me after. He's been really hot, scoring goals. I just don't think that he'll win anything with playing me after. And that's out of no disrespect for him as a person, just the way he plays the game. But anyway, I, I must confess that uh, if I had a chance uh, to get uh, 
Felino out of Columbus, I'd throw Nylander in the pot, make the deal, and have a, have a different team entirely, different entirely. They put, put, put Polino wherever you want, first or second line. But he will exhibit a leadership and a toughness that they don't have outside of, of course, uh, Simmons yeah. uh, on their team. And so all of a sudden, you've got two guys. And it, it's, it's infectious. Uh, it rubs off on the guys, if not in confidence, in uh, the size of their shoulder pads. They, they do stand taller when they have support, and I can understand that. So uh, the, the other guy that they're looking at, apparently, is Stahl and Buffalo. I haven't heard – I don't think that would hurt them either. They'd probably put Stahl uh, in the four-hole – in the three-hole and uh, move him up to the, the power play. That would be a, right. very, a great idea. So I, I, it just depends on how much they have to pay for it, I guess, Jim. Maybe Nylander's too much, but there's not a lot of room on the, on, on the team for the William Nylander that plays five or eight games. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of room for him on the last three games. And maybe he's found it. I don't know. But I, I, I don't like the way he plays. I don't like the way he commits to his team. And I do like the way he can snap the odd goal in. But there, there just isn't enough there for the Leafs to do what they are planning on doing. They've got lots of scoring. Uh, they need a player who understands what it takes to win without the puck. I don't yeah, think they, without they, the puck is anything that Nylander cares for other than uh, give me the puck and I'll try and put it in the net and I'll get seven or eight breakaways you couldn't put one in. Definitely need more uh, physical presence. Uh, they've got the star players, so whether or not you trade one of them to get that in, but you know, either it doesn't matter how they do it. They need some more presence, and it has to be, I guess, on the left side because that's uh, that seems to be how they're stacked up. So, I, I would agree with that. That's why Felino is a fit. Yeah, well, he is. I mean, he's he's, uh, he's got all kinds of sparks when he plays, and they certainly need that. I guess the uh, the ultimate move is to to figure out how to fit that in on a cap, and both he and Stall are on expiring contracts, so. It's going to be an interesting dance that way too, isn't it? Yes, and they like Nylander's contract is uh, cap rich and cash poor. They, the Leafs paid all of those guys that they overpaid uh, when they signed in the one summer and spring. Oh, they paid all the cash up front. Like uh, Kapanen went to Pittsburgh, his cap hit was three point nine. The uh, real salary hit each year was one point nine. Two million of it had already been paid. So if you yeah. apply that same proportion to the other guys, you can you can pay part of Nylander's contract and offset uh, this. I mean, the part that applies to the, to the salary cap and offset the cap hit. And so he's a seven cap hit. So you're going to have to take, I would say, two million. Nylander is a five million dollar player is easily digestible. As a $7 million player, he stands out as someone grossly overpaid. Okay, Bill, appreciate your thoughts. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again next Tuesday. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be a busy weekend in Calgary, Jimmy, and get some money. You're going out yeah. there. Uh, put it on the <laughs> flames for you and I. We need a little okay. extra. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Toodaloo.
Okay, door number two. And, and this is a really good conversation I had with Todd Crocker. He's the voice of the Marlies in the American Hockey League. The Leafs farm team gives you a good idea of the depth they have and, and possibilities for trades. And, and if there's somebody who has traded off the big team, who might step in? All right, Todd, let's just start with the basic question of you know, what is the format the Marlies are involved in the American Hockey League? <laughs> Well, it's it's a great starting point, Jim, because not everybody's playing the same schedule at all. There are teams playing 24 games. In fact, even in the Canadian division in which the Marlies are in, uh, they're uh, as a team not playing the same amount of games as the other four teams. So the wow. the yeah, so it's 36 games for four teams, which is Laval, the Canadians' uh, farm team. Uh, Belleville, Ottawa's farm team, uh, and uh, Manitoba, which is, of course, Winnipeg's farm team. But Stockton, who usually plays out of Stockton, California, decided, hey, we're going to go and we're going to play in Calgary, uh, or Calgary decided that for them because they wanted access to their players. Uh, Vancouver put a number of their players in, in Manitoba. Uh, and, and so Stockton will only play, uh, they started a week later than everyone else and they'll end two weeks earlier than everyone else in the division. So it's, it's really, uh, it's really a league of game by game right now. And I know they talked about, uh, you know, playoffs, but, uh, I, I just can't see how that could work. Uh, it just, just solely based on, on the equitability of it and the cost of course, because in the American league, You've got teams like the Marlies who are owned by the big club. And if they want another 10 games of development, well, that's a cost that they have to figure out. Right. But there's a lot of independent teams, the Hershey, Grand Rapids, places like that, that are, you know, quite honestly, there's no appetite for it. There's nobody saying to themselves, oh, we really have to put out more money. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's... uh... It's getting your prospects playing because the junior leagues are, you know, different parts of the country. There, there's different levels of competition. The OHL hasn't even started, and I don't know if, if it will. But you know, out west they're playing, and I know that out out east there it's been sporadic too. But but you, you don't want to lose a year for all of your prospects. You you try to minimize that, right? Oh, absolutely. And that the great thing about the the Leafs system uh, that is probably. Uh, has an advantage here is that they have a huge development staff that is keeping the guys engaged with different and interesting things every day. They really truly feel, and and by the way, they, they don't limit it to just, you know, Hey, you're a prospect we drafted in the second or third round or whatever that, that it's every player on the Marley. So uh, they keep it interesting for people. They keep it, uh, they keep everybody engaged they really are working to make every player better. And, and it's not just simply, hey, let's go out and see if we can learn the left side lock or the trap or the whatever, you know, whatever yeah. system you happen to run. Uh, let's go learn that every day. Uh, it's it's way more complicated and interesting for the player, which I, I think just uh, from uh, not a competition level, but more on a on a personal level. I really think that's that's tremendous commitment to the player. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and you don't want to like these are their assets. You hate to, to refer to them that way, but you want to keep them uh, developing, not just uh, physically, but mentally and emotionally. And it, it's a tough task. I mean, some of the teams, and, and I'm sure the Leafs have some guys in Europe. There, there's a way to to sort of piecemeal this thing together. It's obviously 
not the world we had. And, and that applies to everything. And, and this is the hockey version of it. Yeah, I, you're right. There are people, uh, you know, cast throughout the, uh, what do they call it in the superhero movies? The universe, the Marvel <laughs> universe. Or the, the, in the Leaf universe, there there are superheroes everywhere. They're just all around every corner. And uh, they, but th- you're right, those players are, and uh, that's something, Jim, I never could uh, figure out in my early days in the American League 20 some odd years ago. I, I never could understand how, they would invest in a player, you know, all the different teams would invest in a player, sign that player to, at the time, a ridiculous signing bonus. I, I considered it ridiculous. And then they, they would just throw that player in the minors and say sink or swim. Uh, they, yeah. Like, who goes and buys something for $500,000 or a million dollars and goes, ah, if it works, it works. It, yeah, that, it, it, that made all- no sense. I know, but that's how it was, right? Nobody had any yeah. any, any plan to, to, to better that until they realized how much money they were wasting doing that. Well, and, and, and that's just exactly it. Somebody came along and said, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe if we commit a little bit more to uh, these people, then we might actually find ourselves a Pierre Engvall, who is a seventh-round pick who just needed a little extra, hey, you think about this, you think about this, from some of the best people in the game that yeah. teach players how to be hockey players. Well, you know, you are, all of us are a product of our environment. And so if you provide the, the best environment, then you're going to get rewards for that. Right. You, you know, we think about that in your, in your TV life and radio life. Uh, how many people actually, you know, went out of their way to say to you, Hey, you know, have you thought about maybe changing this or, or changing that? Not many. No. Right. You know, not many. And in fact, very, so very few that you could probably pick out one or two. And and so you sink or swim, but I never understood that either. Like, do you want to grow people into your business to be great, to be either the great uh, sportscaster or the great morning guy or the great, whoever it happens to be. That's right. You got to, you got to grow them. They don't just, well, they do sometimes magically appear, but it's kind of lucky. Uh, just before we get into who's doing what on the roster, I mean, how are you, what are you doing? Are you doing games and how are you doing them? Yeah, Big Daddy and I are doing uh, the home games. Uh, we did uh, the first uh, bit of home games and and it was, I got to tell you, I, Jim, I was exhausted at the end of it. Uh, no, I no just, I've, I had just forgotten just how much energy it takes to invest yourself both emotionally and mentally in the moment to essentially ad lib for two and a half hours. So, uh, you know, we got into, we got into the first one. I went home, I was just zonked. And, but by the fifth one, uh, I, I kind of thought, okay, we're, we're running at, uh, we're running at a decent speed here. So we are doing that, but no travel. And no away games uh, are, are being called. They're all, all broadcasts are local, uh, which is probably a really good idea. Uh, I don't think, I think, you know, you don't need to put yourself necessarily in, in harm's way. It is a great part of the job to go and, and be a part of the journey with a team. And it is a really difficult part of the job to see that team on a journey and you're not there. Yeah. That's the minors for you. you know? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's just all those in-person conversations where you bump into people and, and the conversation yeah. takes you down the road. And, and for what you do, I mean, 
you need those stories. Yeah, and 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 I need some some people. You know, they say, well, you can call the game off a monitor, and and you can do that. And it's like you can, and you may never reference in a in a broadcast directly something that happens off camera or something that happens, you know, away from the play. But you do record it, and it's there, and it's part of kind of saying. Well, the other night, here's a great example. The other night I asked Greg Moore, who uh, they had played in Laval, and uh, they came back in the third period. And I said, you know, they just had this fabulous game at home against Laval. Incredible Friday night game. It really was just one of the more entertaining hockey games I've seen. And yet I watched it on the computer uh, and I on AHL TV, and then I, I, I there's no fans you can't, you can't get a real sense of whether there's really the same kind of energy in that game that there was in the other game. So I, the question I asked Greg Moore, not to sound like, uh, uh, you know, a high school uh, book, uh, book report, but can you compare and contrast the two games for me on an energy level? Because I have zero clue if that game had a, a ton of energy or not. Well, and, you know, as, as you were saying that, I was thinking back to, uh, the, you know, the preseason games that I've done over the years and the regular season games and, and obviously the playoff games. And, and you know, the intensity for the preseason game is nothing. I mean, there's a lot of right. people there, but, but you just don't get emotionally invested in what you're watching because it doesn't mean anything. Uh, and, and I don't, you know, these games mean something, but, but there's nobody there to reinforce that. So uh, I know what you're saying. And, you know, I do all my work where I'm seated right now. And it took me a couple of broadcasts to understand what, I, you know, the energy level that you have to hit because it's, yeah. it's built into either the rink or the studio, but not necessarily the home. Uh, right. When you can, you know, when the dog can scratch at the door uh, while you're in the middle of something and you can kind of just have that distraction and you're kind of like, well, we will let that go. And and then, you know, you're looking out the window and something's happening on the, it, it, there's just <laughs> way too much that's, you know, not that I'm, you know, I buy into, oh, squirrel, you know, but <laughs> uh, still it's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to focus. Yeah. It is. So let's get into the roster. And I think that the, the first guy anybody wants to know about is Alex Galchenyuk. So I think he's got, what, six games played, two and six for eight points. So that looks good. Yeah, the points look great. And I always caution people when they look at the American League to, you know, don't don't concentrate on the points. But those are those are pretty impressive. Uh, I would I would say to you that uh, he quickly became a player that when he takes the ice, you you watch. It's he's not he's one of these players in the uh, American Hockey League that when when he has the puck or something is happening because he he is you know conjured up some sort of play uh, he he is really making some next level passes uh, and I think it even took a couple of games before some of the line mates were kind of like I should expect something here right right like because you wouldn't necessarily expect a pass from how he gets the puck to you, but you should. And so when he connected with Nick Patan and uh, Alexander Bar- uh, Barabanov uh, in the last couple of games, you could just see they had a, a connection level of expectation uh, that was just, it, well, it's next level and, and literally next level. Uh, they, uh, they just see the game 
and see opportunities and things that uh, you know you don't you don't get often uh, in this league. There's players every year that are here for a short period of time who move on pretty quickly. Uh, I remember William Nylander was like that when he was with the club. Uh, you know, maybe the the best player I've ever seen at the American Hockey League level. Uh, and I just you know the passes he would attempt. You had to, in your mind, I think, as a player, say, I better be ready. I, who knows when this thing's coming to me? And, and Alex has quickly found himself in that situation where he just, he makes, he tries to make plays and connect. And now guys are like, yeah, I, I, I better have my stick ready in the right spot because he's going to find me. I think Lee fans would love that, that he could get called up and make a contribution. So in the six games that he's played, was, was he ready from the start or did, did he evolve into this? Yeah, the fascinating part is, uh, you know, one of the things I've tried to do, um, no matter who it is, and very early in my career, it was Dan Cleary who came over, I think, from the, the Blackhawks into the Euler organization when I was in Hamilton and, you know, troubled child, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he got with Walt Kyle, and, who was the coach there at the time, uh, and they connected and it just worked. And I think that's what it takes sometimes for these guys who, you know, find themselves uh, misaligned with somebody's, you know, philosophy. And then they find somebody who can talk their language and, and really get them excited about the game. And I think that's what Greg Moore has done with uh, Alex Gilchenyuk. I think he's, he's really spoke to, the, the hockey player that's in there. And, and I don't know everything, obviously, that's uh, happened in his career, but I will say this. Uh, if he continues to play the way he, he plays now, he certainly doesn't belong in this league. Well, I mean, the line he's on, I mean, that, that, that's a potential fourth line right there for the Leafs, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it completely is. Uh, that, and, you know, believe me, that's the, there's all sorts of things when you look at those uh, those groups, and I know it's a huge preoccupation of – of a lot of fans that fourth, third and fourth line that, uh, you know, but I would say that those three guys uh, are finding a, a timing and not, I, I was going to say confidence, but I, I just haven't seen that they don't have confidence. They have complete confidence in their abilities. Um, you know, I remember Mark Arcabello a couple of years ago, he said to me when he came back, he says, you know, I, I'm comfortable in this league. And right away, he said, well, that's not quite what I mean. I, I don't I'm not trying to say I disrespect the league. It's just that I know this league and I know how to score in it and I know what to do. And I've, I, I haven't talked to these three guys intensely uh, because, you know, really, it's just, you know, Zoom calls and things like that. But yeah. uh, but they look comfortable in this league. Well, they look like they, they could be better. I think Leaf fans look at this as uh, at some point somebody's going to get moved off the big team and somebody's going to come back and and that uh, you would expect the guy who comes back as uh, the top seven role so that might open up a door on on the third or fourth line for one of these guys if not more than one. Yeah, I would think so, and and I think that there's probably uh, to you know long distance uh, relationship the whole thing. Uh, I think that there is. Uh, a thought process too that you don't want to go through uh, a period of winning and then end up with you know nothing left uh, at the at the development level 
Right. You, you want to make sure that you win, but you also keep keep that door open and you're, you're obviously not going to get number one draft picks again if you continue to win at the, at the NHL level. But you've got to figure out a way to get a better uh, solution than than you currently have. So that's it's going to be difficult. It is. But, you know, the Leafs have some options. Uh, you know, you saw Nick Robertson play and, and obviously back up in a taxi squad situation now so he's another piece that you don't know exactly how that's going to benefit the Leafs but but it will at some point yeah and and uh, you know there's another guy that uh came in and and a lot of guys come in out of junior and and boy their credentials behind them are spectacular and they come into the American League and they start to get jostled around uh, not by 16-year-old kids, but by 25-year-old guys who have seen a thing or two in this league. Uh, and suddenly, they're not all that prolific, a scorer or prolific anything. Well, that wasn't with Nick Robertson. Boy, he stepped in, and I just I, I can't believe the vision on the kid. He's just uh, it, just what he's looking for uh, on a shift, what he's looking for in his line mates what he looks for when he shoots. And the, that's one of the great parts I like about Nick Robertson and why I think he might be a great fit up top is he will shoot. That's his first thought. He wants to shoot the puck. He, he distributing it is fine. He's done a lot of that here, by the way, but, uh, but he wants to shoot the puck. He was leading when he, when he went to, up to the uh, taxi squad, he was leading in shots and uh, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine that they leave him there too long, that he'll either come back or he'll go up, though I guess if the OHL starts again, I, I don't know what the agreement will be there. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting situation, but you know, we've just thrown out four names and, and we've had a look literally at all four of those names um, in the past, so so we know what the, the commodity is. Uh, Galchenyuk, of course, with another organization, but but there are options if the Leafs move somebody else out there's people that can come in behind oh yeah i you know when it i i think that i think that there's some great uh possibilities you know when you look at timothy lilligren right i mean uh this is a this is a guy who when he came back from uh the taxi squad and he jumped in he he's a force to be reckoned with he's a he's a top pairing in the american hockey league and he's beyond it uh he is in that point his career uh, as a defenseman, you have to remember too that he's—it's not like he's 27 years old. You know, he, he started early and and he's ready too. And uh, he's a guy that uh, is a is a valuable piece of the overall puzzle, however that puzzle fits, uh, and, and what you you know get out of the whole situation. Well, that's not, there's people in in who make a decent paycheck working on that, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, I look at surprise guys like Timu Kivihalmi, who right. is just out of, you know, seemingly people would say out of nowhere, except, you know, that's not true. He won a championship in Korpat of the uh, Finnish league. And I mean, this is a guy who, who got, you know, decent credentials behind him. But he went into the offseason and he made a commitment to get stronger and better and faster and the offseason just the lengthy offseason just lent itself to doing more and more of both those things and uh boy he has he played on the top pairing the other night and he looked like he completely belonged 
Um, take us through the goaltending situation, and and I don't know if the the fellow they got from Columbus goes to the Marlies or what's going to happen there. <laughs> wow, take us through the goaltending situation. I just, I failed algebra. I got to tell you, I, there's there's no chance I am going to be able to work this Venn diagram into some sort of organizable piece here, and I don't even know what a Venn diagram really is. So you and uh, me both. I, yeah. <laughs> Um, the, so, uh, Vinny Vavalainen was with uh, Columbus, faced him last year, good goaltender. Um, he's a, he's a number one in the, uh, American hockey league. And that's what I, that's what I think they expected when they got him. Uh, and I think, uh, so I think the situation is that you, you now have to have as many of these guys as possible like you just can't uh, you you, if you're going to have too much of one position that's the position and uh and i think that uh well uh the other night uh andrew d'agostini who had an incredible start for the marlies uh first didn't play uh never played he's 27 years old never played in the american hockey league he's always played in echl the sphl you know those kinds of things yeah and Started 12 straight, and uh, finally Joseph Wall came down from the taxi squad to give him a day off, and uh, then he got injured. Well, now he's injured. Joseph Wall is back on the taxi squad, say. Uh, Jack Campbell, when's he coming back? Michael Hutchins. Suddenly, you know, they become like the backup quarterback. Suddenly, it's the most important guy to have on your team in hockey because anything can happen to these guys they go south in a heartbeat and if you don't have a guy to to back up the backup the backup yeah you could be in a pile of trouble <laughs> you go from too many to not enough real fast yeah yeah <laughs> i find crazy. that i find that amazing because as, you know as i just said like joseph wall went up ian scott by the way is injured still injured so it was supposed to be this year for the Marlies, Ian Scott uh, and Joseph Wall, I would think. Uh, that was kind of how it was setting up. And they recognized, I think, oh, you know what? If this whole thing happens, we better get another goaltender, bring in Michael Hutchinson. And now suddenly you're, you're, you've got guys that are way out of place because the Marlies have two injured goaltenders. There's a, a guy injured with the Leafs. And now you got to go bring in this other guy who, by the way, is he's he's not a hack. You know, it's yeah. not like, hey, we got some guy. We <laughs> we his hockey DB ended in 2014. You know, not a Samboni like, driver. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I and so it, it was great. You know, yeah. it was great. It was uh, you know nice to see uh, you know Vavaline and uh, end up here because he's he's credible goaltender. Last minute of play in this podcast. Wow, there is the time warning from Mike Ross. we got to get out of here. Look at he split. Yes, guy, no guy awards. It's not looking good. Uh, the loss in Ottawa, definite no guy. They just did not have it from the start. The Ottawa Senators get back-to-back goals. One were, what, seven seconds apart, and the other was uh, 53 seconds apart. Wow, that's just no response. Hutch started, lasted 6 minutes and 13 seconds. An absolute emphatic no guy for that. 
The games against Winnipeg, this is an obvious no guy. The Winnipeg Jets in the in the three games play playoff style hockey. They won two of them. The Leafs had pushback offensively, but didn't have it physically. So they have to address that. And obviously, when Wayne Simmons returns, that's going to be addressed. But they need more than Simmons and Hyman. So that's what I'm looking at at trade. So no guy for the series against Winnipeg. Least battle with adversity. Oddly enough, going to give it a yes guy because as bad as it looks now. It's not going to look that way in three weeks' time. They're going to come out of this. So, Leafs in adversity had to happen. Yes, guy. Hope you enjoyed Episode 19. Hope you return for Episode 20 on Friday.